At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Top 30 starting pitchers. This is a lot. It's a lot. But. Banger of an episode. I'm so banger. ready. Banger. Such a banger, Jack. Banger. Just baseball show for Thursday, March 9th. We are talking to you after day two of the WBC. We are recording before day two of the WBC gets rolling. Day one was interesting. To say the least, you stayed up until 11. I, you know, watched all the highlights and everything. And then I hopped on Twitter. I saw that there was a guy with a horn that was just a a massive disturbance for the World Baseball Classic crowd at 11 p.m. And then I saw you, Peter Apple, say this feels like something Jack would do. Yeah, yeah, just be a distraction or, you know, put whatever you want and and to get a little bit of attention. But no, I mostly said that as a joke. And Um, I got a little bit of backlash on Twitter. So I put out a tweet and I said, all right, the horn blaring during the broadcast has to go. And it, it, you know, did really well for, you know, for 30 minutes. And then the quote tweets started rolling in from people who don't know, you know, my sense of humor and just kind of pluck that out and say, these guys are no fun. They're uncultured. They don't understand this style of baseball. And that couldn't have been further from the truth. We're going to be At the World Baseball Classic from March 15th to March 22nd in Miami, I hope every single fan has a horn. I want it to be as loud and as rambunctious as humanly possible. I'm all for the crowd noise. It's, for me, sitting there in a dark room at 1130 at night, hearing the horn blasting when the broadcasters are trying to go over the game or anything is happening. And I was like, can we just get it off the broadcast or at least not so loud that it kills every other piece of noise coming out of the game? Let me tell you something as somebody that calls games and sometimes calls games with not very many people in attendance, the difference between one guy making all that noise and 4,000 people making all that noise is totally different. And one guy is exponentially worse than 4,000. You talk about crowd noise. You talk about baseball ambiance. There are so many conversations. There are so many expletives flying around at a baseball game. But when you're watching on TV, when you're listening on the radio, you can't hear it because it all blends together. There have been minor league games that I've called where I hear one person in my crowd mic for the entire game and I'm praying to God that they don't drop an F-bomb. Like, that is a common occurrence. And, and like, 
obviously the Vuvuzela or the horn, whatever kind of horn this was, it's not going to drop an expletive, but it's way worse when it's just one of them. It's just completely distracting from the game itself. It has you focused on that in particular, which is not the point of the game. I would love to see 50,000 fans going wild and, like you said, horns everywhere and the overall noise is breaking decibel records. But when there's one horn going off in the broadcast every time there's a ball or strike or the horn is going off mid-pitch and it's every single second, it's hard to focus on the game. I have nothing against the crowds who want to bring all that kind of stuff and make the atmosphere rowdy. I love that. That We would prefer that. So... It became kind of a funny thing that I was talking about. Then it got taken seriously saying I'm uncultured, which made me hate you the are. horn more, <laughs> which made me hate the horn more. But then, you know, sat with it the night and but it took away from the great game that we saw between the Netherlands and Cuba. I wanted to talk about that game. I didn't want the story to be this freaking horn that is taking away from the game itself, which was awesome. Again, one horn bad if there were a 100 horns good. You're 0-1 in your WBC bets. Care yeah, to address a, that? Yeah. Um, very upsetting. I had the over, um, and it was based on um, Luis Robert, Johan Mancata, uh, Xander Bogarts for the Netherlands, Jonathan Scope, so many major league hitters in Did these nothing. lineups and guys who've pitched in the MPB, guys who've pitched in the Mexican League. Just a different level of competition. It's like a mid-major facing a power five team in college baseball, like an LSU facing a Litscum. It's just a different level of competition. So I was thinking those big time bats would come to play. They unfortunately did not. But what was hell about betting on the over? And this is what I love, but I didn't realize that I didn't really, you know, think it was going to happen mid game is that every fly ball that's hit from both the Netherlands and Cuba, they pimp it almost no matter what. So I'm just standing up in my seat ready for a home run just for (laughs) it to be a fly ball to center field. Right. No, but overall, yeah, that was a bad pick. The game ended four to two, definitely under the total of eight runs. Uh, the pitcher for Cuba, Cuba, Yariel Rodriguez, was crazy. Great slider, up to ninety-seven. Was really just a reliever in the MPB, and then pitched four really solid innings against a very good Netherlands lineup. I just thought it was hilarious that I knew that the over was cooked almost in the first inning with a double play ball with bases loaded in the top of the first. That's normally a telltale sign that things aren't going to go your way. And then following it up with strikeouts from the best hitters on the Netherlands, like Xander Bogarts, Luis Robert, Yohan Makata. They didn't look like they were even wanting to play. So, yeah. yeah. The first game, I liked the game itself, but the horn mixed with losing a bet. It was an eventful first day of the WBC for me. The beauty of it is we get to do it for 14 straight days. And we'll be in Miami, so you'll be able to sweat those things out in person, which is even better. Baseball is back, baby. Second thing of three before we jump into top 30 starting pitchers. This from Complex. A Hawaiian man who refers to himself as Dolphin Dave has landed himself in hot water with wildlife officials for allegedly harassing a humpback whale and a family of dolphins while snorkeling. If you call yourself Dolphin Dave, you shouldn't be in hot water for fucking with dolphins, right? Shouldn't you be like pro-dolphin? Sometimes I don't have a reaction to some things that you say on the show. I was like, here's the thing. Apparently he got so close to the humpback whale that he could like reach out and touch its fin. That's frightening for me, but I guess not for a guy named Dolphin Dave. Have you ever been a whale watching? Yeah. 
whales are way bigger than you might even think they are. Way bigger. Way bigger. I don't they want are, to swim next to that thing. They are like they look like the Empire State Building swimming underwater. Like they are enormous. Okay. So natural follow-up. Uh you're probably terrified to get that close to a humpback whale, right? Obviously. How many beers before you turn into Dolphin Dave? <laughs> like 50. 50. I don't think I can ever do it. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah, there's an ounce of liquor that could make me dive in and want to be Dolphin Dave and screwing up with dolphins because dolphins are smart as shit, too. They're so smart, dude. Yeah, they probably know about Dolphin Dave. They're probably trolling him. They're also smarter than Dolphin Dave. Also, if I'm not mistaken, the the high pitched like squealing that they do, like the dolphin sonar, I think, you know, like the shows that you hear, like the clicking, you can't actually hear that. I've never swam with dolphins, so I don't know. But I think that is like just created by like after effects to mimic like dolphin sonar. It's like a dog whistle. Like some people can't hear it. Like I don't think humans can hear dolphin sonar underwater. One more thing about complex, not dolphins. Did you see uh, the release of the new Jackie Robinson shoes by Nike? No. So cool. Are they sick? Okay. Sick. Look up complex's Instagram and look at Jackie Robinson's new shoes has the 42, it has the clean <clears throat> Brooklyn Dodgers logo on it. it, has seams in the back. As soon as they're released, I'm adding them to my shopping cart. They're the coolest shoes I've ever seen Nike put out. Okay. Ever seen cool. Nike put out. I th- I was blown away. I think they're awesome. That's baseball related. Thank yeah. you for getting us back to baseball. Last thing before top 30 starting pitchers. Tom Hamilton is the radio voice of the Cleveland Guardians. I love listening to Tom Hamilton because if you're ever looking for a one-liner, that makes you say, huh, that's him. Uh, last year, I want to say last spring, the Guardians were playing the Twins and they got onto the conversation of Miguel Sano. And I know I've I've texted you and a couple others uh, this, this uh, clip before, but he's walking through like all the injuries for Minnesota. And then he goes, and Miguel Sano, he's not injured. He's just fat. <laughs> like, it's just a crazy line from a, from a major league radio announcer. So today, like there's the precedent for Tom Hamilton, who's who's a tremendous announcer, like really good at the play-by-play stuff, has as much juice as anybody. He's one of the best listens in Major League Baseball. Uh, I'm listening to the Guardians scrimmage Mexico. Jose Arquiti starts that game, and he is getting blasted. Like Homer from J-Ram, Homer from Gabriel Arias. Like everything is being pelted, and the outs are loud. Like Rowdy Telez made two diving plays at first, on a hard line drive. Stephen Kwan hit two balls like over 100 miles an hour, I think. So Arkiti just stinks for like three innings. And New Arm comes in, and the uh, the second guy in the booth with Tom Hamilton is saying, you know, like, Arkiti, this was his third outing of the spring. You know, I, I'm not sure if he was working on things. And Tom Hamilton interjects and goes, well, if he was working on some things, they weren't working. <laughs> That's hilarious. It's ruthless, but I'm in. That is ruthless. And we we need more of the complete honesty from broadcasters. Um, we need sometimes the broadcasters to say, this guy sucks at a current moment. Like it can't all be sunshine and roses. Like when you're when you're broadcasting, would you say it's normally sunshine and roses? Or do you ever dive into the hey, this guy swings at a slider every single at bat? Like he can't Whoa. hit. Well, it's always, and note who he's saying it about. He's saying it about Jose Arquiti, who is not, checks notes, a Cleveland Guardian. Um, 
It's also John and Rainbow's about the team that pays you all the time. Is it? Yeah. I mean, like <laughs> you'll hear about it if it's not like yeah. that type of thing. So if you if you hold yourself to a really high journalistic standard, um, then then sure you may be critical. And like, listen, if it's bad baseball, like you got to talk about the bad baseball. The job is to like talk about what's in front of you. But for the most part, it is um the silver linings and, and sunshine and rainbows about about the team that you are employed by, but with a, a teensy bit of a critical eye. When you hear things like that, like calling Miguel Sano fat, guarantee you he's not a Cleveland Guardian. When he says that whatever Jose Urquidy was working on, it wasn't working, uh, guarantee you he's not a Cleveland Guardian. Yeah, that makes sense. I love, uh, I like listening to the Guardians, and I'm not sure if it's Tom Hamilton, but after the Guardians get the last out, book it. Is that Tom Hamilton? I think so. Yeah, that must be Tom Hamilton. I like that little send off. Yeah, the gotcha. The game. Well, you funny. like your. You like, like your it. Sterling, though. The Yankees. The best ever. <laughs> you might be goaded. The you best be. ever. Um, all right. Top 30 starting pitchers. Top 30 starting pitchers. You can find this article on JustBaseball.com. Jack and I are going to kind of go through stacks because if we went 30 to 1, listed all of them out, analyzed every single one of them, we'd be here for four hours. Um, so we're going to go through stacks, kind of highlight some guys that we're looking at. Uh, but overall, again, you can find the full list on justbaseball.com we're going to release the full list um on social media whether that be you know through the tiktok through instagram so you'll see the full list in this episode we're gonna stack it yes yes so you know you can follow along in the article because we're gonna work 30 to one we have like one honorable mention but he's not really an honorable mention he's medically disqualified we did 30 pitchers we didn't really need an honorable mention but we have a medically disqualified because if walker bueller was going to pitch this year, he'd be well within the top 30, Correct. but unfortunately out for the season. Correct. If I were to add like one honorable mention to this list that isn't on this list, it's Logan Gilbert of the Mariners. Uh, but yeah. Gilbert is not on this list. I think he's the first one left off. But yeah, Bueller is the medically DQ'd one. Started 12 games, 65 innings last year. He had an, ER, he had an ERA over four, but like we know if Walker Bueller is right and he's not yeah. dealing with forearm tightness and his second Tommy John... I think he is a top – I think he's in the five range. Yeah, I think he's in the five to ten range around there. Um, I asked Aram this when you know we were doing an episode a couple weeks back and when we were talking about Corbin Burns. We were talking about best pitches in Major League Baseball. And I spoke about Burns and said, I think he has the best pitch repertoire of any pitcher in Major League Baseball. And Aram came back and said, yeah, he's definitely up there, easily top three. I'd maybe consider Max Scherzer within that and Walker Bueller. That's the level of stuff that Bueller has. It's just about staying healthy. I mean, he came out of Vanderbilt too. Really, really good pitching prospect, then just vaulted up the Dodgers uh, farm and then has established himself as one of the best pitchers. It's just he won't be on the field this year. So 2021, he threw 207 innings. He had a 2470 RA. I'm going to walk you through pitch arsenal, like pitch by pitch. 44% fastball, sitting 95, opponents hit 201 against it. 16% cutter at 92, opponents hit 233. 80 mile an hour curveball, 13% of the time, opponents hit a buck 75. Slider, 14% of the time, opponents hit a buck 94. Mix in a changeup, opponents hit 116 against it, but he only threw it 4% of the time. And then the sinker, he threw 8% of the time, opponents hit 241. So he can go to six pitches 
and he will force you into weak contact or no contact with six pitches. So that is why that guy was the lone medical DQ. Um, we've got a, a couple of Padres, 30 and 28. They're sandwiching a Seattle Mariner and George Kirby. Musgrove is 30. Darvish is 28. I am team Musgrove, I think, over Darvish. But I understand why Darvish is over Musgrove because Joe has been good for a year and a half. Darvish has been good for six years, and they're pretty comparable right now. I think going into 23, I bet Musgrove again finishes with a better ERA, but Darvish's floor is so much higher than Musgrove's, I think. Yeah, Darvish has been doing it for longer, and he had a better season last year, at least by a war total. While war for pitchers isn't um, the end-all, be-all, of course, it's a good way to measure value. And by F war, uh, Darvish was at 4.2 to Musgrove at 3.5. Um, but both, again, are really good pitchers. You're splitting hairs by saying which one is better. We have Darvish slightly higher, but again, an argument can be made for both. You know, when I was looking at George Kirby, I found something pretty interesting and something that I didn't really know about him. Like, obviously, when you watch George Kirby pitch, a lot of stuff is coming in hard, right? Fastball, yeah. cutter sinker that's like four of his most used pitches but then he was throwing a curveball that kind of got slammed last year wasn't that great of a pitch um but he started instituting uh this slider and it looked better as a breaking ball than that curveball has but he throws the curveball a ton his pitch usage is just i thought fascinating because he doesn't walk anybody he might already have the best command in baseball, posting a 4.1% walk rate, one of the lowest in baseball as a rookie. We saw him dominate in the playoffs, seven shutout innings against the Astros in one of the biggest moments as a young pitcher. We are big believers of George Kirby moving forward, but I wonder how he's going to mess with, with his pitch mix ultimately to get more outs because any pitch he throws, he can command it. But I just feel like with three pitches all coming in hard but darting different ways, it's almost the Lance Lynn effect where if pitchers time or if hitters time you up correctly, you could have a rough day. I'm curious what his mix is going to look like in 2023. Yeah, I I bet more slider. You think so? I would hope so. I also hope more changeup. Because the changeup yeah. is fine. He only threw it 8% of the time, but like it was fine. Um, I, I think that he is probably in a better situation than Lance Lynn because Lance Lynn is in the Bartolo Cologne situation where Lance Lynn's just throwing a bunch of different iterations of a fastball, right? He's throwing four seam, cutter, sinker, like they That's all kind of look the exact doing. same. That's what I'm saying. That's what Kirby's kind of doing. Mm, but Kirby's got four seam slider curveball, like fastball in the mid 90s slider in the high 80s, curveball in the low 80s, then he's got a sinker in the mid 90s, and then he's got a changeup in the mid 80s. So there's enough separation there. Like he's 80 to 95. Lance Lynn is like 88 to 94. You know what I mean? So like things are just kind of moving different ways. Kirby, at least he has a little bit of velo separation. He's got to find like one of those breaking pitches because opponents kind of battered the slider too. opponents hit 320 against the slider, 317 against the curveball. He's got to make one of them good. Yeah, no, what I was looking at, you know, last year, 45% of the time he threw a 95 mile an hour four seam, 
12 percent of the time he threw an 88 mile an hour cutter and 12 percent of the time he threw a 95 mile an hour sinker so 70 percent of his pitches are variations of fastballs you have a cutter on savant yeah that's the problem I've, i've got i don't have a cutter on pitcher list maybe we should use the same data god all right i'm gonna go to savant Sorry. I love pitcher list though. No, pitcher list is great. And sometimes Savant doesn't uh qualify pitches the same as other websites. And maybe it is a more of a slider because that cutter I know has more movement than what normal cutters have. And it's not, you know, 91 with a little bit of break. It's more of an 88 mile hour sweeping cutter. So it can be kind of classified as such. But I guess I was just looking that and that and I wanted to mention it because I was surprised that. If it does qualify as a cutter, 70% of the pitches he throws are variations of fastballs. Yeah. So there we go. Um, yeah, I mean, that's concerning, but he's a top 30 pitcher because he doesn't walk anybody and he throws in the mid-90s. Like, Yeah, yeah. We spent a lot of time on that, but like, we're but, full steam ahead believing in him. Right, and because like all these bad numbers we just threw at you, he still had a 3-4 ERA. Exactly, and a lower expected ERA. Yeah, so boom. Um, all right, Tristan McKenzie debuts on this list at 27. Mm-hmm. Um, McKenzie had a sub three ERA last year. The thing that struck me there, I think everybody knew that he could be a sub three ERA guy. I think everybody knew that he could be an 190, 200 strikeout guy. He punched out 190 last year and his whip was under one. The thing that really struck me, the guy threw 191 innings, like, all of a sudden, McKenzie is durable and he can go seven innings in a start. That's really impressive. And like, that's a thing that I think everybody was hoping he'd unlock. Didn't know if he would. And all of a sudden he has. And that's why he's top 30. 296 ERA and 191 innings. What I really liked about McKenzie is his fastball was always good. He gets a lot of extension on it and it's decently high spin for a fastball coming in at around 91 miles an hour. But with the spin and the extension, it definitely looks harder than that. But he was much heavier on the fastball, almost 62% in 2021, down to 56% in 2022. Started using the slider and the curveball more. And the curveball, I still think, is one of the best pitches in baseball. Held opponents to a 120 batting average against. Those three pitches, he has three extremely strong ones. And if you look at the you know, the plots about where he's throwing. And if you look at like his location, the curveball is always down in the zone. The fastball is more often than not located up in the zone and the slider, he can kind of put wherever he wants. So he's filling up quadrants with three different, really good pitches. As long as he stays healthy, which is of course the concern with a guy like McKenzie, because he looks like he weighs 160 pounds soaking wet, even though he's six foot four, Will he stay healthy? Actually, six foot five listed at 165 pounds. If he stays healthy, these three pitches play. I know it's 91, but I'm telling you, I bet you in the box, if you ask other hitters, there it feels like 95. And then when you mix that with that slider and that curveball, he's got a bright future ahead of him. He's only 25 years old. So he was, you mentioned 56% fastball, 22% curveball, and opponents hit a buck 20 against it with a 203 slug. Do you think he can throw the curveball more? He should. And he did last year. He throws it more every year. Yeah. He also threw 25 changeups in 2021, and it just, like, got annihilated. Yeah. Uh, just scrap it. Yeah. yeah. Just stick with those good enough for that. 
there there's the velo dip, right? You were talking about with Kirby a little bit. I mean, McKenzie's got it. 92 and a half miles an hour on the fastball last year, 87 and 79. So yeah. when you have that difference between 79 and 93, that's what you need. And then something in the middle to throw off both of them. I think it's great. I think he's going to start throwing the fastball a little bit less institute those two breakers more. Should have another really, really great season. Yeah. Kershaw is 25. Can't keep Kershaw off this list. I know that he threw fewer than 130 innings, but Clayton Kershaw had a 2.28 ERA and 126 in the third. When he's on the mound, he's figured out a way to overcome father time. And it's not by gassing everybody up with a mid-90s fastball like he could do in his late 20s. He's aging. I don't think it's a hot take to say that he's he's aging more poorly than a Verlander or a Scherzer because he is like he's not available as much as a Verlander or a Scherzer. The fastball hasn't survived the aging process. He sat 90.8 miles an hour with his four-seamer last year, but he's figuring out a way to use that arsenal that is a Hall of Fame and a first ballot Hall of Fame arsenal to still get outs with diminished stuff. And that, my friends, is the mark of the greatest pitcher of our generation. Yeah, with no back, he put up a two two eight ERA. That's I bet crazy. If you, I bet if you asked most baseball fans who had a better ERA in twenty twenty two, Spencer Strider or Clayton Kershaw, most people would say Strider. Yeah, and Strider had a better advanced data, obviously because he's throwing a hundred and he's striking out fifty guys per nine innings. Right, and he had a lower FIP, lower xERA, all that kind of stuff. We know yeah. that. That's why there Kershaw are twenty seven outs in nine innings. By the way, so you're you're saying that he's getting fifty strikeouts. So many drop third strikes. Oh, got it. Got yeah. it. Yeah. Um, that's why they got Sean Murphy. Um, no, but <laughs> Kershaw still is one of the best pitchers in baseball. Like Strider threw 130-ish innings last year, 267 ERA. Kershaw, 130-ish innings, 228 ERA. He's still that dude, even with a shell of a body that he once had. And he's still going to be great again this year. There's the no reason th- to believe that he won't. Right. The the thing that I want people to appreciate about Clayton Kershaw when it's all said and done, like I, obviously the accolades are great. Nine-time All-Star, five ERA titles, three Cy Youngs, an MVP, and a pitching triple crown. The, the thing that I don't think people really understand about Clayton Kershaw is this dude doesn't walk anyone. Career 9.8 Ks per nine. So he's 10 Ks per nine, 2.2 walks per nine. Last year, 126 innings, 137 strikeouts. 23 walks every year it's wow kershaw is not going to walk anybody huh 2016 he finished fifth in cy young voting through 149 innings 172 strikeouts 11 walks issued that's kershaw he's going to beat you in the strike zone and those are the best pitchers in the game the ones that can beat you in the strike zone i think that there are a lot of guys that are figuring out how to do that. And I think that's why we're in the golden age of pitching. I totally agree. Um, moving kind of farther down our list a little bit. Uh, we'll gloss over 24 because I think 23 and 22 is just a really, really fun debate because they're teammates. One had really his first big year in major league baseball. And the other has been doing this at least now for a couple of years. That's Manoa versus Gosman. We personally have Gosman 23, Alec Manoa 22, have you seen Manoa's advanced stuff? No. His advanced data 
like from last year, right? Puts up the 2-2-4 ERA. Phenomenal. The FIP, XFIP, these numbers are in the mid threes and the XCRA is 3-3-1. It's almost like one of those things where I don't really know what to believe because Manoa doesn't strike out guys like you might think he does. 180 strikeouts in 196 innings last year. But I remember watching him in the All-Star game and he just, he's one of the, hardest pitchers to predict this year because when I watch Alec Manoa I see a bona fide ace in this league one day and he was that last year but a lot of the numbers are saying major regression is coming and we've seen these with pitchers before who have outperformed this year over year we've seen pitchers who end up looking a lot like their xfip fip and xera PCRA, Sierra, all these different stats. I don't know what to do with him. I, my baseball brain says he's going to be totally fine. My analytical brain says this is a guy who you should fade next year, like when betting on a particular game. And they're coming together, and what comes out of it is a big question mark. I simply do you, don't know. Yeah, what do you think my side of the argument is? You love him and you think he's going to shove. Yeah, like I'm not that much of a help because like, I don't know. The lowercase X just makes me angry like every boomer ever. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, like I FIP, Sierra, PCR. Yeah, there's, like there's, there's more than that. Place stock in all of it. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's like when one stat, we know that ERA is not a great pitching stat to do because obviously there's a lot of luck involved. There's a lot of defense involved and all that kind of stuff. But like if allowing runs is the name of the game, like That's not allowing saying. runs is the mark of a good pitcher. And Alec I Manoa agree. over nine innings allowed more than one fewer run than Kevin Gosman did. That's a fact. And Isn't then Gosman, the you look pitching? at him, one of the top, I think he finished second or third in war among all pitchers. Insane strikeout numbers, doesn't walk a soul, but allowed more runs last year. It's, it's a tough one because all the so, advanced stuff, Gosman's a king. Right. They're, so, that's why they're on the same team. They're both awesome, but the numbers are completely different. And I can't decide. I can decide. And I'm very happy with how we ranked it at Gosman 23, Manoa 22. Um, if I were to go to grad school, I'd want my thesis, my like doctoral thesis to be why F war is a stat geared to benefit Kevin Gosman and only Kevin Gosman. Like an Aaron Nola. Tell me this and, and Aaron Nola, but Nola, like I understand it. We'll get to Nola, but Manoa through 22 more innings was better than a run better in ERA had a better whip, but was a win and a half worse. 4.1 war compared to 5.7. Where does that come from? Like Manoa was objectively better in all the traditional numbers and he is a win and a half less than Kevin Gosman. It's a FIP thing. Like strike out and walk, strike out and walk like Manoa, but Manoa like 51 walks in 196 innings. That's not terrible. No, it's not terrible. And, you know, Manoa allows a lot of contact or at least much more than a guy like Kevin Gosman does. But Alec Manoa was in the 92nd percent on hard hit rate allowed. So, yes, he's allowing much more contact. But it's all weak. But it's soft contact, which is what you want. 
Very fascinating. I think both pitchers are great. I think both pitchers should be in the top 25. Um, I'd be interested to really like put a gun to some Blue Jays fans' heads and say, next year, who do you think will be better? I think most of them would say Manoa, but it's funny the numbers say Gosman. I don't know. I'm excited to watch. I think both are going to be great. I'm Team Manoa. I think I'm Team Manoa too. Okay. But barely. Because I and it's not because I don't like Manoa. It's yeah. because I really like Gosman. I mean, the splitter is unbelievable. It's one of the best pitches in baseball. Yeah. Um, 17 through 20 is the next range that I want to walk through because you've got lefty, lefty, then teammate of, of 18 in the 19th spot. And then you've got another guy that like is more durable and like more of an innings eater at 20 than the guy at 19. Shane McClanahan is 17. Framber Valdez is 18. Teammate Christian Javier is 19. Luis Castillo is 20. This was like a weird spot for all these guys. Um, let's start with Castillo and Javier because those are the two righties and then we'll go to the two lefties. Castillo was hurt for a bit. Um, he made 25 starts. Javier made 25 starts. Javier made five appearances out of the bullpen. Javier threw two fewer innings than Castillo, but Christian Javier had a 2-5 ERA. Castillo had a 2-9. I think going into last postseason, if you were to hand the ball to one of these guys to say, hey, you got to start a game seven, answer would have been Luis Castillo without much thought. Now, I think without much thought, it's Christian Javier after starting a combined no-hitter in the World Series. But is that all it takes? Just that start and now he's above him? Um, because I'm a Luis Castillo guy. Um, I think Luis Castillo, like with the Mariners, he was electric. He was so good. And even with the Reds, he was great too. Um, You know, he had to move spots a little bit and he was still great in the playoffs. I mean, Castillo's been there. He's done that a little bit longer. And I feel like we're just mounting Javier after that amazing postseason start. And you know me, I love a good postseason. I love it. I'm almost biased towards that way. And I love Javier. Now I do. Used to not. Now I like literally am legally obligated to at this point. Yeah. And but I would still take Castillo above him. Um, I think Castillo's got a better bag. Um, but again, it's it's razor thin. Um, but I just I can't say that we'd say Javier is the guy in the playoffs without much thought after he did that, had that postseason run. I can't I can't say that. Right. Um so fan graphs, this this is my favorite. Uh 2017 fan graphs. Had Luis Castillo as the tenth pro- overall prospect in the Reds organization, I think um, they had his changeup at a forty grade with a forty-five future grade. Yeah. Luis Castillo's changeup, it's looking to miss. Yeah, I mean, Literally. like tells you in in Arum. I think Arum's a gold standard in terms of prospect grades. Like Arum will admit, like sometimes you're just off like this. Like everybody was off with Julio's run grade. Like Julio was a forty runner around the industry, and then all of a sudden he's a threat for 30 bags at the major yeah. league level. So sometimes you're just wrong. Fangraphs was just wrong about Luis Castillo. Um, almost identical sample, like I mentioned. Castillo threw an inning and two-thirds more than Javier, but Javier was half a run better, 254 compared to 299. And he also struck out nearly 30 more guys, 194 punch outs for Javier compared to 167 for Castillo. Now, Castillo's thing is 
when I'm not punching you out, I'm getting contact on the ground. Javier's thing is you're going to swing and miss at two pitches. Like I, I can do this when a fastball is coming. I can do this when a slider is coming and you're not going to hit either of them. But there's not a level to you that says I need to see it again before I put him over a guy like Luis Castillo. I already saw it as a swing man, dude. Like, I don't know. He, like, you know how body and arm and I were and, you know, so many other people around just baseball to Christian Javier and like last year only got me more bought in. So I think that while you may be, while you were unfairly negative towards Javier, I was probably unfairly positive and I still may be unfairly positive. Um, but I do think that this is a top 20 arm in baseball. No, I, yeah, I agree. I, I thought we were just talking about, um, Castillo, Castillo versus Javier. Javier. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. I think, like Javier would be 20 and Castillo would be 19 or something like that. Right. So I agree yes. with those. I My just, definitive statement, I would take Javier over Luis Castillo. I would take Luis Castillo. But again, okay. they're right next to each other. So it's just that kind of debate where I just feel like Luis Castillo has done it longer. I think his pitch repertoire is more diverse. And I just think if I was stepping into the box it'd be harder to hit Luis Castillo than sitting on two different pitches. But again, those two different pitches from Javier are arguably better than anything Luis Castillo has. So it's a little bit of a trade-off there. Both are going to be great this year. I'm excited. If you got in the box against Christian Javier. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm 0 for 100 against both of them. But I know. I know 0 but for like, 100 for Luis Castillo might be harder. So... If if you got in the box against Christian Javier and he could only throw fastballs, how many fastballs do you think it would take for you to make contact? Four. Are are you like sw- purposely swinging over the top of him because of that much ride? Just let me lock in. I need three. I'll strike out on three pitches. Lock in. Yeah. But then I'm locked in. Next AB, he ain't getting another one by me. No way. Luis Castillo, well, five. Okay. Five fastballs? Five fastballs. Damn. All right. See, I think I think Javier's fastball is harder to hit than Castillo's. I agree. Um, they're both impossible to hit for us us plebes. But yeah. um, I love that Framber is over both of them because he's a two hundred inning guy. Yeah. And Framber Valdez, he may he may walk some more guys than I think you would you would expect from him because like he's so good, you know, lower half and um, yeah, he, he's just under a, a punch out per inning. But what Framber does is so magical. You're never going to hit the ball in the air against it. Like nobody does it. Uh, we were talking about home run to fly ball rate and Frombers like blows the rest of the league out of the water because nobody hits the ball in the air. Like there are no flyouts. If you hit the ball in the air, it might be going out. Um, I, I think that that guy has a plan of attack and he's so good at executing that plan of attack on a nightly basis. However, I do like that he is directly behind McClanahan because if you gave me a pick of Fromber McClanahan to have for this year, uh, I'm saying Shane because what we saw from McClanahan last year, and I don't want to throw the Kershaw comp on him, but what I just said about Kershaw, he is willing to attack you in the zone with several different pitches and he will get you out in the strike zone. That's Shane, man. 166 innings, 38 walks, 194 punch outs. He will kill you in the strike zone. And I think Fromber, he will kill you bottom of the zone and below the zone. Yeah, I guess for me personally, I would take Fromber over Shane McClanahan. Um, I like Fromber so much. Again, you you said it yourself, innings eater. 
um, and can lead your team to victory, can put your team on his back and lead you to victory. We saw it against a Phillies team in the World Series, um, similar to kind of Christian Javier. We saw Framber kind of be not – I would – I called him the ace of this Astro staff even when Verlander was pitching in the playoffs because I thought when Framber was pitching, they'd win every game. He has a sinker that he can throw to lefties and righties. He throws it mostly to righties because he faces a lot of righties, and guys can't really hit it. He has a curveball that he throws to righties as well that we saw in the playoffs and we saw during the regular season. Huge swing and miss, huge amounts of spin, really hard to hit. But he has a pitch against lefties that he throws this cutter that's kind of like a more of a slider-ish thing because it's at 83 miles an hour, and lefties just can't hit it either. So he has multiple pitches that he can go to every side of the plate. And Shane McClanahan, I guess I'm still waiting for that 200-inning season, that 190-inning season, even something Everybody like is. that. That's what yeah. just we're waiting for. From a pure stuff perspective, Shane McClanahan's stuff is more powerful Probably on a pitch-to-pitch basis, Shane McClanahan is a better pitcher. But if we're ranking for 2023 something I'm the most confident in, it's that Framber's going to give me 200 more innings and an ERA between 2-8 and 3 with plenty of strikeouts. Like, I can bank on that over what I'm going to get from McClanahan. Because if McClanahan throws 200, it could be even better than Framber. But I think a bet on that, you would bet on Framber over McClanahan. That's why I'm going Framber. Yeah, by by innings, I would certainly bet on Framber over McClanahan because Framber has proven durability. And if you're 5'11", 240, you better be durable. And like he is. I that guy's physique exudes durability. That dude's shoulders are like the craziest thing. Like yeah. just watching him throw and like seeing the view of his back, I'm like, wow, that guy rose. He yeah. he rose, he deadlifts. Um yeah, man, like I totally hear you on on all of this. Uh I also and probably leaning McClanahan, and these are like my two favorite pitchers in the game, but I, I think I lean McClanahan because he's four years younger than Valdez. So if it's a toss-up, I'm going to take the guy that, you know, is is a tour of undergraduate, you know, university younger than, than Fromber Valdez. I think it boils down to upside versus higher floor. And I think I'm willing to bet on the higher floor of Framber other – than the upside. But with that said, I would take McClanahan over Castillo and Javier. So I agree with the rankings. I would just flip-flop them. Again, splitting hairs. But that's where I feel like the competition is fun and why we are in the golden age of pitching because we're talking about just aces here and we haven't even gotten to the top 15. Right, right. So now we jump into the top 15 and 15 is Julio Rios, who finished 15th or finished second in NL Cy Young voting. He finished 15th in our top 30 starting yeah. pitcher rankings. After the start to the spring that we've seen from Julio, this this feels low, but we can't make sweeping claims about spring training. Uh, and everybody in front of him is like a horse, or they do something that's so exceptional it's impossible to deny. Julio Rios, if he throws 200 innings this year, I'm ready to make him a definitive top 10 pitcher in the game. Yeah, here's my biggest gripe with the entire list. I was Julio should be top 10 or at least 11 when we look at our rankings. Yeah, I think he is the second best lefty in baseball in that range. Um, 
And I just think it's like we are holding him accountable for not throwing 200 innings because that's what we expect from a guy of this caliber. But it's not like he's ever asking to come out. The starts are still there. 32 starts, 31 starts the past two seasons. So it's not like he's getting injured. It's the Dodgers trying to keep him healthy for a postseason run with the best bullpen in baseball. So they only need five from him. But we shouldn't take that away from Arias because that's the Dodgers' decision. If Julio Arias was on the Marlins, he'd be throwing 200 innings, and the ERA and all the advanced numbers, they wouldn't look that much different either. I truly believe that. I truly believe he has some of the best stuff in all of baseball. And similar to kind of McKenzie, that high fastball in the zone, high spin, it's not super fast, but it just gets on you quick. The looping curveball, which looks like Kershaw, Vernando Venezuela, that kind of curveball. I just think that of pitchers in our game, there are not many better than Arias. It's just the Dodgers' decision to not put him out there that long, which I don't think we should hurt him for that because we saw him throw 185 innings in 2021 to a 296. Yes. Like they just lowered his innings because they needed him for the postseason, and which is always, he's always great in it. So that's my, that's my issue with our list. I feel like we are docking him for something that he literally can't control. I was on your side with that. I think that he is the best left-handed arm in the National League. Um, We've got Freed at 11. I think Max Freed's really good. I think Julio's better. I do too. But we have Freed at 11 and Julio at 15. And then there's that. We were outnumbered. And for reference, Strider 12, Nola 13, Bieber 14. Those are the three in between them. Strider is high. We know. But when you punch out 14 per nine in 130 innings in your rookie year, you're going to be really high on this list. Strider's so freaking good. Nola is a 205-inning guy, and Bieber is a 200-inning guy. So Urias, like the gripe with, with him not you know going too deep into games, that's quelled by Bieber and Nola. And whatever like amazing stuff Urias has coming out of his left arm, Strider has better stuff coming out of his right arm. That's the difference between Freed and, and Urias. So like I can't have any qualms with that. Honestly, I I wouldn't be phased if if we straight up flipped in this list and went Freed 15, Urias 11. I would put Strider at 15. You got to see him do it again. I just got to see him do it again. This guy's throwing 130 innings in it, but it was so. That's the thing that I struck out 200 guys in 130. That's the thing that I keep like going back on. I think he's the hardest pitcher to rank in anything because these 130 innings, you could argue, were the best 130 innings in baseball last year. The best. The best. It was that good. You don't find a guy striking out guys like this you don't find a guy who's got an xera at 1.8 fips at 1.8 and era is 2.67 and like every single outing you watch him every fifth day for the braves he is as dominant as anyone in the game but he's thrown 130 innings in his career and he's like better than some of these guys who have been there done that big game also there was the blowups at the end of the season for strider there's the Will he stay healthy enough to be a 200-inning guy in our league? You know, he's listed at six foot. I think he's shorter than that personally. 
he's got the legs to do it. But I'm I'm curious. Like, I just think we're mounting him so quickly. And we do this for guys that we really believe in. And I don't want this to say that I don't believe in Schreider. Like, even putting him at 15 on a top 30 pitchers list after 130 innings is incredible. That just goes to show how much we believe in this guy. But 12, like, putting him over some guys who I'm like, I know Aaron Nola is going to shove next year. The only thing that would make Bieber not shove is health. But he's won a Cy Young. I know it was in a shortened season, but, like, 275 ERA plus in 2020, like, that year is crazy, but... These guys, uh, I just, I've seen it before. There's such better bets, but the upside of Schreider is top three. That's how right. good he is. So it's it's such a tough player to look at. So I I am so sold on Dana Brown because, you know, you see this and you're like, wait, fourth round out of Clemson? How did nobody see this shit coming? Like he was this good his rookie year. That was 2020. Dana Brown drafted Michael Harris out of high school in the third round in 19. He drafted Von Grissom out of high school in the 11th round in 19. And he drafted Spencer Strider in the fourth round out of Clemson in 2020. Like how did nobody see this shit coming from any of the three of them? And Dana Brown was the guy overseeing the draft. Like he preys on Alex Anthopoulos. You got to know that Dana Brown's kind of a G. Because he drafted exceptionally well for the Braves when he was in charge of that. It's going to go down as one of the better drafts. I mean, that that stretch, man. That stretch, Harris and Grissom in 19, Strider in 20, is crazy. Crazy. And all of them young, all of them not first-rounders. Like, oh, congrats. You have the... You had a top-five pick, three years running, and you got three really good players. Like, these are third, fourth-rounder. Great. uh, Unbelievable. Astros now, right? Astros GM. Unbelievable. I, of course. They're going to be so good forever. <laughs> I know. I know. Um, all right. We jump to the top 10 now. Garrett Cole's at 10. And if that feels low, Dylan Cease is at 9. And his new teammate, Carlos Rodon, is at 8. So we think the guy that is a better pitcher than Garrett Cole on his own team is is going to be the two because Cole is like obviously going to be the opening day starter. He's paid to be the opening day starter. He's been with the Yankees. He's proven successful with the Yankees. Um, Cole is like the one in the Yankee rotation. But I think if Brian Cashman did anything this offseason, it was retain the captain. Well, retain the new captain and officially solidify that you have co-aces. Yeah. And Garrett Cole is an ace in our league. And as a Yankee fan, I have been upset with Garrett Cole in the past. And the game that still will forever sit in my mind because it crushed me was that wildcard game against the Boston Red Sox where he gave up a crooked number and we lost in a game where I thought we were definitely going to win after he signed that enormous contract. But what he did was he turned in an excellent postseason this time around, which I was very happy to see. But the fact is, he was second in home runs allowed in Major League Baseball. Second. Gave up 33 home runs. Now, you could go look at the advanced stats, and they'll say, terrible home run to fly ball luck. FIP was much better. Should totally normalize. But here's the thing about Garrett Cole's pitching style. He throws that 100-mile-an-hour fastball 
middle to the upper part of the zone. If you are able to sit on it, it is a home run inducing pitch. That is a pitch that doesn't come into the zone and it's going to start allowing soft contact. That's for his other pitches. And he can do that. But the problem is it's a location thing. And he is prone to giving up home runs. That is just a fact. And it's hard when you go into a game against a team with power bats, knowing in the playoffs that one swing of the bat can make all the difference. The other guys on this list just straight up don't have that problem. So the reason I was the one who said, yes, we should put Rodon above Cole. We should put Cole at 10. I wouldn't mind putting Arias over Cole. I understand the advanced numbers when they say this should all regress. Yeah. But from what I've seen, and I'm wa- I watch him every fifth day. He is an ace in our league. He racks up strikeouts. He is dependable. 200 innings. Love him. Should be in the top 10, 11 pitchers. But one game, he still makes me nervous. Whilst most of the pitchers on this top 10 wouldn't make me nervous at all. That's why I put him at 10. Because in those one games, like in those situations where it's high stress every pitch, the home run is a blow, like a massive blow versus over the course of a regular season, a solo homer in the fourth inning doesn't hurt. Like, obviously you don't want to allow home runs, but you'd much rather your pitcher allow a solo homer then three hits and one run comes in, right? Because it's like, it's one hit, you know, it's one good swing, move on. Um, of pitchers to allow 30 or more home runs, Cole is like so far and away the best. There were five guys that allowed 30 or more home runs last year. Herman Marquez, Marco Gonzalez, Robbie Ray, Garrett Cole, Josiah Gray. Cole is different than that group. But that's the way Cole pitches. That's kind of the way McClanahan pitches. Some guys are geared to allow home runs. But if they don't allow anything else, that's when they are world-class. And Cole has always allowed some home runs um, last year more so than than any other time. Yeah, like I just I just found it interesting. Like 3-5 ERA in this day and age is not what it was like even a few years ago. Like you said, we're in the age of pitchers. Like there were 19 guys who had an ERA below three last year. Garrett Cole put up a 3-5-0 ERA. That was 30th in Major League Baseball last year. Yeah. 30th. Like he had the same war last year as Merrill Kelly. But he was one of how many to throw 200 innings? Only right, a five, few. and that's why he has to be ten because he's been better than this before. We expect those numbers to regress, but I'm just saying I don't think they're g- going to regress to the level that the numbers are saying they will. I think this is his problem, and it's going to continue to be a problem. I hope I'm proved wrong. I hope this is the dumbest thing I've ever said into a mic, and it was just a weird blip of a year. But it's hard not to when you watch him every fifth day and you're seeing the same mistakes repeated because that's who he is. It's not necessarily a mistake when it's 100 at the top of the zone, but for some reason, guys just barrel it up. Yeah. He was one of eight guys to throw uh, 200 or more innings last year. So we'll see what Cole looks like. We'll also see what Rodon looks like. Because if Rodon goes 200 innings, 
you know, I still think he's a three ERA. I bet Rodon, if they threw equal innings this coming year, Rodon has a better ERA. Um, but they probably have very similar number of strikeouts. Um, Cole may have the edge there. And Rodon, like, I don't know. That's a really hard debate. And I think that we should revisit it almost monthly. Like, hey, who's the true number one for the New York Yankees? Yeah, I mean, um, I would say that, you know, Rodon has been objectively better over the last two seasons than Garrett Cole has. And I think that Rodon's 97-mile-an-hour heater with the slider are two better pitches than Cole can come at people with. Cole has a better bag and you could argue maybe better command. But the reality is that Rodon over the past two years has been much better at limiting runs. And in one game win all, like the tenacity that Rodon has on the mound, that just like the ex-dog in him, the snarl, you know what I'm saying when you hear it. Like he's got it. He's just, I love what he's saying about coming to New York and everything like that. I'm very excited to see Rodon this season. If he can stay healthy, I think he established himself as the best lefty in the game. Real quick aside, it is official. Jim Beheim is out as Syracuse's head coach. He is done. He is retired. 47 years. Adrian Autry, the new head coach of our alma mater. Nice. Fantastic. Good for Red. Red Autry is going to get a shot. Red Autry is a very respected coach. Uh, longtime lead assistant under Jim Beheim. So um, they, they keep it in the Orange family. There will not be a Rick Pitino or a Nate Oates uh, coming to Syracuse, but Wow, the Jim Beheim era is over in Syracuse. Awesome. Interesting. All right, back to the list. Shohei Otani is number seven. And I want to stick on Otani for a minute. Because, like, we, we talk about how good of a hitter and pitcher he is. Like, hey, he's, show, he's Shohei Otani. He's one of one. He's legitimately the seventh best pitcher in Major League Baseball. Yeah, it might even be better. Right, like a 2.33 ERA in 166 innings. Like that that's better than the year that Rodon had. That that's better than the year that Max Fried had. If Carlos Rodon hit 30 pumps, he's Shohei Otani. That's crazy to me. Yeah, he throws seven different pitches. Sweeper, four seam split, cutter, curveball, sinker, slider. Um he's amazing. He is simply amazing. There's nothing else to say about Otani other than we are witnessing the most talented baseball player of all time. That's what we are witnessing. Because Shohei Otani throws 98 miles an hour, routinely touching triple digits. He might have the best slider in baseball from a starting pitcher. He has one of the best split fingers in the game. Opponents only hit 126 against it. The cutter guys had some success. The good thing about Shohei is that's one of seven pitches. He'll probably just shelve it next season because he's like, why? But he just institutes these new pitches. Did you see at the end of the year, he was just throwing this 100-mile-an-hour sinker? I mean, it's tracked at 97, but I saw that thing diving at 100. He just did that for fun. This is not normal. This is not normal, what we are witnessing here. He is one of the best hitters in baseball, but he's a better pitcher. Pitch for pitch, he's like top four. He might win the Cy Young next year. I know. I know. It's amazing like, what we're seeing. He was, uh, I think, a four-win hitter, like 3.5-ish as a DH. 
5.6 war as a pitcher. So like judge all time season, 11 and a half wins. An excellent season, the best season in baseball on a yearly basis, unless you break Roger Maris's record and hit 320 is, is typically a seven and a half war season. Like that's an incredible, incredible season. Maybe one or two guys get yeah, like to Goldschmidt, seven war. Goldschmidt was Machado, Arenado were like seven war guys last year. Right. Otani's eight every year because he's a year. five and a half win pitcher and he's a without three and a half defense, win defense without defense, which dampers the war total too. So playing in the DH role, he doesn't get anything from defense, but instead he gets it from pitching and he's one of the best in the game. Crazy. Incredible. He's just incredible. And he's fast. Did you know that? Yes, I did know that he was fast. All right, two more stacks that I want to go over. Four and five and one and two. And we're not going to spoil one and two. Hell, we don't even have to spoil four and five. Just go look at the article, just baseball.com. It is linked in the episode description. Uh, Verlander and Scherzer. We can't do do that to the people. They got to hear. Verlander's four, Scherzer is five. But two New York Mets are four and five. I'm pro Verlander over Scherzer because of what he just did in 2022. Like, Scherzer's been great. Scherzer's a first ballot Hall of Famer. So is Justin Verlander. What did you do last year? Scherzer, a 229 ERA in 145 innings. That's incredible. But Justin Verlander was a Cy Young winner and he had a 175 ERA in 175 innings. Maybe the most impressive thing this motherfucker had a 0.83 whip. Walks and hits per innings pitched, well under one. The That's way wild. I the way I looked at the top five is that one A, one B, one C, one D, one E. Because I really think this is the top five. And we could just go over our top five right now and just kind of talk about it as a big grouping. Sandy at one, DeGrom two, Burns three, Verlander four, Max Scherzer five. Let's just get it out in the open. Like these five, however you want to rank them, you are correct. But I think one to five, it has to be these five, and then you get to everybody else. Max Scherzer, it's a tale as old as time. He is going to give you one of the best seasons in Major League Baseball until he drops dead. Justin Verlander is our modern-day Roger Clemens. Yeah, Leo Morgenstern's putting out an article of milestones that can be hit in 2023. Justin Verlander is going for 10 top five finishes in Cy Young voting. Only Roger Clemens has that. Now, the voting changed in 2010, so obviously it doesn't include all pitchers all time, but that just goes to show the level of where Verlander is at. Corbin Burns is number one in war over the past two seasons. So from a production, from a value standpoint, the past two years have been Corbin Burns, the best pitcher in baseball. Jacob deGrom, pitch for pitch, is the best pitcher I've ever seen in my entire life. Pitch for pitch. And I saw Ver, I saw Pedro, saw Halliday. That's my era of pitching. Kershaw, Verlander. DeGrom's dominance at 102 with that 92 mile hour slider is the most unhittable pitcher I've ever seen. But Sandy is the ultimate horse. The only guy who I can say I can bet my life on him throwing 200 innings with a low ERA and plenty of strikeouts. And by win probability added blows everybody out of the ballpark because he pitches 
every All single inning that he's supposed to pitch. So what do you like better? What do you want to bank on? We rank Sandy one because if there's one bet of any pitcher in Major League Baseball this year, it's Sandy to throw 200 innings with an ERA below three. That's the bet. You can poke holes in Burns because he's only done it once. You can poke holes in DeGrom because he's been injured. Scherzer and Verlander are, of course, past their prime, even though Verlander just put up a 175 ERA and is a 39-year-old. Right. But there's one bet, and that bet is Sandy, and I think that's why we have him at number one. But just to summarize, you really can make the argument for all five of these guys in whatever order you want, and you'd be correct. Because for me, it's 1A, 1B, 1C, 1D, 1E. That's how I view it. How quickly can you pull up the prize picks like ERA uh, prop for Sandy for the season? Uh, do you know do it? it in four seconds? I'm so I'm curious what it is. Like I bet it's two four. No, it's way well, higher. way way higher. Sandy is three one eight. Oh my god, under. Yep. Oh my god, under. Yep. I would think about it if it was two five. Yeah, but the projection systems, like a lot of them, you know, the XCR, like all those kind of events stuff, say he's going to regress. Don't because care. he throws a lot of innings and there's a lot of data points. And of course that, you know, might happen, but yeah, I mean, I love the under, I think there's no reason he should go over this. Yeah. All right. There's anything the else. Like, do you, I know I kind of went through it. Like, how do you sit on this top five? No, I'm with you. Yeah. I'm totally with you. Like, would you rank them in a different order? This top five? Yeah. I would honestly think about Burns five. Mm, I think Burns is like two. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, I I think I don't know. I I default to all time great, and I think that Verlander and Scherzer with Kershaw, like though that's the holy trinity of our pitching generation, right? Like those are the three first ballot Hall of Fame pitchers that are coming from us. Um, I think Ver like the longevity of Justin Verlander is something that I will never ever get over. It's, it's like LeBron. Yes, but somehow like he goes, you know, through like these weird ebbs and flows in his career. So he. All right. Two, four ERA in 2011. One, seven, five ERA in 2022. Those are his two ERA titles. His two ERA titles came 12 years apart. <laughs> Who does that? He won his first Cy Young in 2011. And you know what's great about that, too, is most, you know, back in the day, people would say, oh, that's steroids. We have no reason to believe that at all. At all. This is just God-given ability. And I mean, he takes care of his body. He knows his body, similar to Brady, LeBron. Like, these guys who can play at a high level at 40 should be revered. I mean, right. this is one of the great players of our generation. Scherzer got a late start on his dominance. Like Scherzer's seven-year window is as good as any seven-year window for Verlander, arguably better. And it's probably second to only Kershaw. Kershaw's seven-year window is crazy. Uh, but nobody in the game, like these are these are Justin Verlander's years in which he finished top 10 in Cy Young voting. 2006, 2007, 2009, 2011, 2012, 
2016, 2017, 2018, 2019, 2022. You fucking serious? It's amazing. That good for that long? Yeah. You don't see that. Yeah. Like, so that's why I, that's why I probably side with Verlander over Burns because like Burns has done it like one and a half times. He struggled after the all-star break last year. Um, I was texting Colby about it, who helped author this list. Um, I think it was like a three, eight ERA post all-star break. So Burns did it for one and a half years, maybe, you know, two years. If you factor in the back half of 2020, um, but yeah, man, like I think I would probably go Sandy, DeGrom, Verlander, Scherzer, Burns. I also want to shout out number six, Zach Wheeler. Yeah. Phillies fans, we remember the ride. We both remember Phillies money line every single time that motherfucker took the mound because nobody was better in the postseason than Zach Wheeler. He lost a little bit of velo there, didn't look quite like himself. It looked like they just kind of ran him into the ground at that point, like even during the season. You know, he dealt with an injury there where he only threw 153 innings. But Phillies fans, Nola is amazing. He's high in our ranks. But Zach Wheeler, that's the guy. That's the guy. And I will ride Zach Wheeler till I die. Yeah. I think he's awesome. And that's it. That was top 30 pitchers. Remember, you can find the full article on JustBaseball.com. You'll see the full list on social um, make sure to get yourself some just baseball merch. I'm rocking a hat. I'm even rocking the long athletic tee. As you can tell, I'm very comfortable, extremely comfortable in all my just baseball merch. That link is in the episode description. But of course, if you don't want to spend a dime, we would appreciate a five-star review, whether that be on Apple or Spotify. And if you enjoyed this watching on YouTube, hit us with a like, hit us with a comment and hit that subscribe button. Comment who you think are your top 30 starting pitchers, maybe top 10, any of that variation. And with that, Thank you, everybody.